I, we might Chris, do you take have any this idea up next how week? many made for TV movies, classic made for TV movies I've watched in their entirely, in their entirety, with the with the thought that uh, this might be good for the show. Yeah. And then I realized, no, this isn't. It, it's not funny enough. We have nowhere to go with this. Louise Company. By the way, like, comment, and subscribe. <laughs> it helps the algorithm. <laughs> the Rees Company. All right, crack open a tepid Genesee and watch the pictures as they travel through your neighbor's Wi-Fi. It's... The Rees Company. I'm Steve Rees, the bull of American broadcasting alongside the great Chris Morganti. How are you, Chris? I'm good. Very excited tonight because uh, we're making our big return, our long-awaited return yeah. to the movie of the week of the week format. Well, uh, I don't I don't know that it was awaited by anyone, but yes, we are after a, after a hiatus. So, yeah. I understand you have a cause you're uh, taking up. Well, I, I went to one of my favorite diners um, the other day. And um, this place had been at another location, one town over, for many years. And uh, they recently relocated to Bridgeport, Pennsylvania. Now, are you familiar with this town, Steve? Vaguely, not yeah, not closely. It's not. It's. Uh, I guess it's going through a bit of a gentrification, you could say. Okay. But it's it's far from complete. Um, it's not exactly a high class neighborhood. But it's an up, what you could call an up-and-coming place. So this restaurant relocated there. And recently, they brought along this piece of statuary, uh, you know, which had adorned the front of their restaurant for many years, and they moved it to the new location. Uh, Bridgeport, I guess the borough council, I don't know who does these things, but um, they said, hey, you can't have that there. And, and they said, why not? And they said, well, because we don't want you to. They've been they've yet to be cited for anything because they're not breaking any laws. Um, I assume just some neighbors complained. But, uh, I mean, look at it. It looks good. And this is, in a, this is on a commercial street. Um, there you see the 4th Street Cafe. It's a, it's a great restaurant. Uh, they're not hurting anyone. I think, if anything, they're beautifying the neighborhood with their uh, poultry statuary. So I signed their petition to have it remain, and I urge everyone to, you know, give a call to the Bridgeport, Pennsylvania. But we have to be clear, there's probably a lot of Bridgeports out there. Yes, yes. Uh, Bridgeport, Pennsylvania, Borough Council, and let them know how you feel about the rooster statue, whether, whether you want to stay or not. That's all I have on that, Steve. And you don't care if they want it to stay or not, you just want them to vote. That's what you're saying? Well, that's, that's what it sounds like. Steve, there's no voting. And I already made my position clear because I said I signed the restaurant's petition. Um, there's no voting. I'm just encouraging everyone to give them a call and let them know how you feel. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I can't because I already put my phone number down on the petition. <laughs> so <laughs> I can't make any uh, spurious phone calls. Okay, well, in that case, uh, best of luck with that. And, yes, please do uh, Chris's bidding in preserving the statuary of this, uh, this icon, this icon yeah. of Bridgeport. Don't you think it looks good, Steve? I do. Yeah. Very attention-getting, which is what you want for a business. Yeah. I imagine this is part of the central business district. As much as there is one? Sure, yeah. So that, that's another thing that uh, brings people to town. Yeah. Makes them spend a little dough. Yeah, and everybody works out. It helps the local economy. And I'll tell you, when I when I took that picture, 
they were having like a little, there was a fire company on the other end of the block and they were having like a little street fair type of thing. Lots of kids walking by. They all loved the chicken. So why get rid of it? I like it. So uh, shall we do what the people of Croatia, I guess, have been waiting for for, uh, it seems like many months. Mm. Duh. <laughs> I don't know Croatian. Okay, well, let's let's do our movie of the week of the week. All right. Okay, it is The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. It aired on October 29th, 1989 on Showtime. Now, it's based, of course, on the 1886 short novel by Robert Louis Stevenson. Uh, Yeah, I'd recently read that, and um, I thought it was great. So I thought, hey, why not look for an adaptation of it to bring to the show? Um, I settled on this one from, what did you say, 1989? Yeah. Um, th- this was, um, I'm a big Babylon five fan, Steve. Are you familiar with that show? I'm aware of it. It's a, is it a Star Trek, uh, spinoff? No, it has nothing to do with Star Trek, but it is, uh, space science fiction. Um, um, and, and the guy who wrote it, uh, was called Jan Michael Straczynski. He, he was the showrunner. He, he wrote most of the episodes. He did every, he was creator. He did everything. Um, so as a fan of his, he wrote the uh, screen adaptation of this, and I thought, well, this would be a good one to check out. So that's why I chose... Were you expecting space robots? No. I was expecting decent writing. Oh. So we'll all be the judge of whether or not we see any of that. He also ran Murder, She... He was a showrunner for Murder, She Wrote, in between this, what we're about to see, and uh, the premiere of Babylon 5. Now, were you a fan of Murder, She Wrote? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, that I used to go over and watch with my grandmother... Um, no so surprise. There's a lot of nostalgia there, remembering time spent watching TV with my grandmother. And also, it's great if you're looking for someone, uh, something to watch while you fall asleep. Uh, most mystery shows, you'll be like, hmm, I wonder who committed that murder. I got to watch till the end. I promise you, you'll fall asleep and not care at all. Now, did you enjoy it at the time? Well, yeah. Murder, she time, Yeah. Well, I just I, my, I go over and play board games with my grandmother and stuff, and then we'd watch Murder She Wrote. That's very nice. Yeah, nice memories. Yeah, uh, you mentioned the uh, the screenwriter. Uh, it was also directed by Michael Lindsay Hogg. Does that name ring a bell? Uh, it does, but I don't know why. His work served as uh, the source material for another project we discussed, namely Get Back, the Peter Jackson Beatles documentary. Lindsay Hogg directed Let It Be. Oh, right. And the raw footage from that was what became Get Back. Oh, yeah. Now, this Jekyll and Hyde adaptation is part of an anthology series called Shelley Duvall's Nightmare Classics. And the eponymous actress appears nowhere in this. I don't, I don't, I I saw her name in connection with this, but she's nowhere in the credits. I don't know what her involvement is in this at all. I believe she was, she played a supervisory role in the series. Weird. And this wasn't the only series uh, she produced for Showtime. Oh. Were supervised for Showtime. Huh. She did uh, two other series that were mainly aimed at children. And this was the first one that was aimed at uh, older kids. Hmm. The Nightmare Classics. So uh, it doesn't involve... You know who we need to be in business with? The Showtime executive said, Shelley Duvall. <laughs> 
I think that's a little bit weird, Steve. But all right. <laughs> well, as we said, Shelly Duvall is not in this. Uh, this stars Anthony Andrews in the title role. Now, who is he? He's the guy who played um, Dr. Jekyll. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. You know, it's actually pronounced Jekyll. Uh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, uh, what did you say his name was? Robert Louis Stevenson? Is that yeah. right? Well, he was Scottish. So if you think about it, you know, Dr. Jekyll, it, it kind of makes sense. That but, does make sense. Yeah. So um, we're going to go to uh, our first clip. And here at a social gathering. This, this guy who plays Dr. However you want to say it. Um, we don't know him from anything else. Uh, I did check his credits, but I didn't see anything that I thought was worth uh, discussing. Some of that Shelley Duvall casting at work right there. <laughs> <All> right. <laughs> well, uh, he's very timid, Dr. Jekyll. And uh, here at a social gathering, he encounters Rebecca. Now, she's the daughter of who is essentially his boss. The daughter of the man who... Well, so in this adaptation, Dr. Jekyll is uh, he's a teaching doctor. He teaches medical students. And... His boss is the head of the college. Yes. Yeah. And this is his daughter. And his daughter here is played by Laura Dern. Laura Dern, yeah. Even more pleased. Are you enjoying the party, Henry? Yes, it's nice. It's very nice. Um, it's good to be out of the lab. Yeah, not that I mind being in the lab. It's just good to be out. Once in a while. Listen to him, Miss Lehman. You wouldn't believe what I went through to get him out of that place of his. No, no. The, the work is far too important, he said. Really? My father tells me you've been conducting research into the realms of the human psyche. Oh, hardly that grand. But I thought you'd said it was important. I, I, I don't think that it would interest you. Oh, but it would. Truly. Well, I tell you, Laura Dern, she never gets the uh, right leading man, does she? It's either uh, a guy with no personality who's decent looking or a guy with a great personality with a face like a ooh. <laughs> you know, uh, in thinking that that might come up, I watched that scene. How would it not come up? <laughs> I actually watched that scene today in Mask where she touches Rocky Dennis's face. Sure. And uh, he says to her, my mother says I look like a lion, yeah. and she laughs. How does she know what a lion looks like? Has she ever touched one? I doubt that. Yeah, maybe. I mean, she's heard of one, though. So she has in her mind what she thinks it looks like, and maybe that's why she I, I, I have no idea. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that uh, Anthony Andrews guy, he looks kind of like Cliff Richard. <sighs> Who's that? It's a pop singer. Okay. The Shadows. Okay, well, Chris, that's all I have for that. Okay. That's all I have. All right. So, Dr. Jekyll shares with a group of students a certain theory in which he has taken a significant interest. If we could control the chemicals in the brain, create just the right combination, could we eliminate evil, purge the mind? And the soul of its destructive tendencies. Hmm? <coughs> Professor Lehman. My good Dr. Jekyll, are you actually suggesting a possibility of, well, for lack of a better description, call it a goodness potion? <laughs> I believe that uh, 
Theoretically, it is possible, yes. Indeed. Well, then I suggest it might more properly belong in a philosophy class rather than anatomy. We wouldn't want to confuse our nation's young physicians with fancies and hobgoblins of the mind, now would we? <laughs> now, that's not Artie's dad from Dirty Work, is it? No, no, no. Okay. You're thinking of Jack Warden. All right. That is not Jack Warden. Well, fantastic. Fantastic clip. I don't know. Hey, uh, Chris, any ideas for next time? <laughs> all right. Maybe the thorn birds? I'd be all for that. Sure. <clears throat> so uh, that guy, he's not Jack Warden. Um, he's probably Laura Dern's father or something in this. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, he doesn't seem to be too keen on the idea of a medication that can change one's brain chemistry to favor good acts over bad ones. But, yeah, that sounds like a terrible idea. Um, we Thank God we don't have any medications that alter brain chemistry <laughs> now. <laughs> well, this was the 19th century. Yeah, he was, he was on the forefront of medicine. But that doesn't discourage Jekyll from experimenting with the notion. Okay. He puts in long hours at the lab working on his brain-altering formula. He's there so late, in fact, he falls asleep at the lab table and accidentally ingests part of the elixir. Yeah, this is where it gets good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a little bit different than I remember it. And uh, also, I didn't think they had Moog synthesizers in, in the uh, 1890s. But uh, all right, it's, pick, well, it's well, picking up. You said that the uh, the man who wrote the teleplay, uh, he, he worked for Babylon 5. He yeah, worked for, yeah. you know. Yeah. So he, he's very uh, futuristically minded. Yeah. All and right. some of those elements found their way into this. Um, Clearly. Adaptation. Yeah. So now, now let's get back to uh, Dr. Jekyll and Anthony Cumia. <laughs> didn't he yeah yeah a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> i mean the gold chains alone <laughs> so snorting the powder that he's uh concocted turns jekyll into a woman crazed maniac i don't think it was a powder but... and he interrupts some sort of samurai poker game to ask where his love interest can be found and it turns out she's shopping for groceries so hyde heads to the supermarket and he espies her by the produce let's take a look you shop here? I'm shopping for you! <laughs> we'll make the wine of love, my pumpkin princess! Oh, not here. What do you think this is, a Kmart? Let's go back to your palace, my queen. Together we'll grind the fruits of passion. You pay for the groceries? Yes, yes! Oh, I love your hair. Who told All right. Yeah. Yeah, so the effects of the powder, they wear off after a time. some powder? Yeah, it's a, it was a powder. Okay. All right. After days of using it, 
Jekyll starts to become Hyde against his will, yeah. even without the medication. Yeah. So it's not opportune when he said, by the way, he's a surgeon all of a sudden. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's not it's not the best timing when uh, he starts to transform into Hyde just as he's about to perform surgery on yeah. a patient. That's not what you want. Right. And this is not a problem. Uh, I mean, this is a problem that I guess is explained by the title as Mr. Hyde is not a physician. Right. Paging Mr. Hyde is not what you want to hear no, no, going into no, surgery. No. Yeah. <laughs> now, desperate for an antidote, uh, Hyde retreats to the lab, and there he receives a piece of good news. Okay. Let's take a look. I can give you $60 and my wedding ring. <gasps> I need big money for drugs! Congratulations! You have won the $500,000 cash prize in medicine! Award ceremony to be held in London! Puts Polar Society! I did it! All right. I'm sorry. Uh, they're giving out dollars in London? I, I'm a little bit confused. Where does this take place again? Well, it takes place all over the world. Oh, okay. As we're about to find out. Uh, um, I found something interesting about that telegram. At the end of each sentence, the word stop didn't appear in place of a period. Right. And uh, that was usually the case in a telegram, or at least when you hear them read in uh, I've never actually seen one. But uh, it, when you would hear them read in movies and television, there would be stop. Well, it's either they're right or every other thing we've seen is right. Well, I did a little research on this, and I, I found out why. Okay. It turns out that um, a telegram from a prestigious organization – like giving out awards for medicine. Yeah. They likely would have had um, full punctuation in any telegram they send. And the reason why is because people would use stop instead of a period because words were included in the price of transmission, but punctuation was extra. Interesting. What, so stop wasn't a word then. Well, no, it was a word, but because it was a word, if so, you used it instead of a period, you would pay less for the um So you weren't paying per word? You were paying for punctuation for some reason. Yeah. I, I think also the length of the word, the, the fact that it was four letters, folded it into the cost of the rest of the um, telegram. Mm. You know what? We'll have to look this up. I have a feeling that you, you, you may have not quite interpreted that correctly, but... But I don't want to just sit here and argue with you. We're enjoying a great movie. Yes. So we'll figure this out oh, yes. and get back to everyone. Yeah. So uh, this news that uh, Dr. Jekyll is being recognized for his scientific breakthrough naturally leads him to commandeer a vehicle. Wait, wait. I'm sorry. Yeah. What breakthrough is he being awarded? It, it, it Turning has, into a Anthony Cumia? Uh, um, basically uh, altering people's brains to focus on uh, certain aspects, uh, to control the animal nature of man, I believe. Okay. I don't. Later, if I have time. Don't touch me, you dirty hippie! Oh, <laughs> 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 
Yeah. A lot of automobiles for the 19th century, but it's an interesting directorial choice. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, I agree. So guess where Hyde's on his way to? I can only guess. Well, you saw it. Huh? I, you this is, I don't know. I must have fallen asleep again because this is way different than how I remember oh. what I watched. Oh, okay. Well, I'll spoil it for you. He's on his way to a video arcade. Okay. Where he's somehow... Uh, what's the word? Apocryphal? Is that what I'm yeah, looking yeah, for? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, anachronistic, I think is the word. Yes, that's what I'm looking yeah, for. Yeah, yes. Um, so he goes to this arcade where he somehow knows he'll find that gal from the supermarket, and her name is Ivy. He yells at her the news of Jekyll's upcoming recommend, uh, commendation and demands that she accompany him to the ceremony in London. Okay. She doesn't see what that's got to do with him. He screams that he and Jekyll are one and the same. Yeah. Ivy doesn't buy it. Then this occurs. Yeah, she's okay. She's why, okay. Why did a chicken fly out of the video game? Well, I, I think he. I think the chicken might have had a role in the operation of the machine. <laughs> At some point, one of the drivers in the game does say something about, "Hey, you, 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 ruined, you killed my chicken," or something. There are chickens in the game. Okay. But my best guess is it's it's meant to suggest that the chicken is somehow peddling. Okay. Yeah. I I guess they probably wanted to use a hamster, but it didn't look right on camera. You know, it might have been a budgetary concern. Well, I don't I don't know about that, but more of a visual thing. Do you think a hamster costs more than significantly more than a chicken? <laughs> I don't I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> now, look, I know this was pre nine eleven, but is there no security at this arcade? Apparently not. No one whose job it is to walk up to Hyde and, uh, and use the phrase, I'm going to have to ask you to leave. Not ask him to leave, of course, because nobody ever does that. Not ask him to leave. Just repeatedly inform him that the question is imminent, yet it never actually appears. Yeah. You remember, you remember going to arcades, right? Yeah, yeah. There used to be security guys there. They were the guys that had the change thing on their belt. Hmm. And you'd give them a dollar or two and they'd and hand you, and it, right? Well, not at this one. I mean, yeah. they're, they're, you can argue that that's attempted murder. <laughs> not just vandalism that they actually might have had to worry about in an arcade. <laughs> so, incidentally, the woman who plays Ivy here, she's called Krista Erickson. Okay. And uh, she went on to become a successful journalist in Rome. And she was even part of a team that went to Afghanistan to negotiate the successful release of an Italian journalist held captive by the Taliban. Okay. So she had a very interesting future ahead of her. Now, what happened to Laura Dern? Well, uh, strangely, we didn't see her after that first scene. Oh, yeah, that's weird. I mean, that character is not in the book either, so I see why they just got rid of it. Makes yeah. sense. Yeah. So Hyde has to get across the pond to 
to collect his accolade. Okay. So how do you think he does this, Chris? Um, uh, well, it seems how this takes place in the 1880s. Uh, steamship or perhaps a sailing vessel? Oh, okay. So he has to take some form of transportation. Sure. Okay. Uh, let me ask you this. Do you think it's in a conventional manner with which he um, procures the ability to travel uh, overseas? I don't know why it wouldn't be. Okay. Well, All right. let's find out together, shall we? a martini that seems a little bit silly to me yeah yeah well you know what's even sillier that train we just saw yeah that's ivy taking the train from la to london i'm sure yeah, yeah. via the uh the ultra channel <laughs> um okay so uh at the award ceremony you know how many people actually try to stow away on airplanes every year how many more than you would think <laughs> and you know how many of them succeed very few very few yeah Turns out there's not a lot of air up there <laughs> when you're not in the uh, compressed cabin part of the airplane. Right. And you're standing next to the, well, like he was, or in the wheel well, like most people try to do it. He seemed quite comfortable. Even if you survive the lack of air, uh, most people tend to uh, get caught off guard when the, when the wheel starts to lower down and they're just lounging on it. And that's when they fall out. Oof. Yeah. So now it's uh, time for the award ceremony. Oh, great. Now, Hyde, he's still Hyde at this point. Hyde forgoes the customary acceptance speech in favor of a pantsless performance of an R&B song ostensibly titled, I've Got Nothing to Hide. Bold this, choice. Yeah, yeah. Now, this is all met with something not best described as apathy. Hyde is chased out onto the streets of London, and the pursuit ends where he, when he's pushed off the rooftop by Ivy. And after the impact... He reverts back to his Jekyll persona. Now, Ivy and Jekyll's fiance, and yes, Jekyll has been engaged this entire time. The two women discover that this whole Jekyll Hyde gimmick could work out for everybody. Let's take a look. Split into two personalities. Listen to everybody? Yes, but I, I can't reconcile the two. One is good, kind, gentle, uptight, afraid of sex. He's mine. The other is rough, evil, sex-starved, animalistic. He's mine. We could probably work this out, couldn't we? I think so. Oh, so it ends in a threesome. And then everybody goes home. Happy, I would assume. Sure. Well, I'll tell you, Steve, that was a lot better than I remembered it being. And I just watched it last night. Yeah, well, uh, so uh, you noticed undoubtedly that, uh, and so do the folks watching, the people of Croatia, 
Uh, notice that early on, these clips took a hard left turn. Yeah. Yeah, and and that was a that, that was a that, that was a salvage operation on my part. Yeah, um, I, I felt the source material needed a bit of goosing. Well, let me tell you something, Steve. Uh, and and I we're joking around here. I know what you did. Um, that second version that you switched to is actually more faithful to the original source material <laughs> than the Straczynski version. Okay. What was the name of the show? I don't know. Uh, the, oh, geez. It's on your page one there. The yeah. Showtime show. Um, yeah, The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. It was from an anthology, anthology series, Nightmare yeah. Classics. Nightmare Classics. Shelley Duvall's Nightmare Classics. The Nightmare Classics. Classics version was like, it had more in common with Jerry Lewis, the nutty professor, than, than Jekyll and Hyde. Um, and I'm not joking. That other version was more faithful. Um, I, I don't know why. It's such a good story. I don't know why they felt the need to change it into. It was just a weird love story. And yeah, it was very boring. I like what you did there. Spice things up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And um, here, here, yeah, you go ahead. Oh, oh no, no, please. Well, it did. Here, every adaptation I see of it, whether it, either of these ones that we saw tonight, they don't seem to get it quite right. It, Jekyll was not the good part, and Hyde was the bad part. Jekyll was the public persona hiding both the good and the bad. So when he takes the thing, he says, had I been inclined to do good, I would have turned into a whole different... Mr. Hyde could have been like a philanthropist. But because he had evil intent, he, he became a bad person. Um, Jekyll was not... The good part, he was the public face that you present to hide your your two opposite sides of your personality. And it seems like every adaptation gets that wrong, but that's what the original book, which is what I really wanted to talk about tonight, um, that's what that was. So the name Hyde is somewhat ironic, because that's the part... Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know if ironic is the right word, but yeah, it's. It, I, I guess it's meant to be an allusion to is the hidden part of his personality. Um, by the way, I had a, I had a good Danny Masterson joke, but um, you didn't play the, you didn't play the clip where somebody gets, so oh, I can't man. do that. See, here we go again, Chris. <laughs> oh, I forgot. All right. Well, we'll have to bleep that word. Yeah. Um, uh, anyway. Uh, yeah. I, I just thought that, um, that's my thoughts on that. Okay, and and by ironic, I didn't mean ironic. It would have been ironic if the hidden part was the Jekyll. Yeah, right. That would so be. I I did kind of get that backwards in the moment. Um, <clears throat> so uh, most of the clips we watched were from a different adaptation, obviously called Jekyll and Hyde Together Again. Okay, which was theatrical theatrically released in 1982 and starred Mark Blankfield, which. Uh, if we were writing that movie, I would have awarded the full five Meredith Baxters. Okay. okay really? Okay. Was, did I have anything to do with Yahoo Sirius? No, that's Young Einstein. Okay. Because that guy seemed to have an Australian accent of sorts. I didn't know what was going on. Okay. Well, um, no, he's from Texas. Okay. All right. But uh, the film you selected, Chris, was not. Jekyll and Hyde together again. Yeah. It was the Showtime version of Jekyll and Hyde. And uh, in your defense, you and I have very different criteria for choosing the films we discuss on this program. Right. I tend to select made-for-TV movies that are sensational, have ridiculous premises, or are very much a time capsule of a very brief era. Uh, because those elements lend themselves to jokes. 
I think, Chris, you just want to enjoy the movies we watch at face value. All right. Let's take... All right. Here's how we're going to start next show, Jim. We're going to take what he just said, and then we're going to go over the movies that I picked versus the movies he picked. And we'll see this, oh, I picked movies for their fun-loving, joke-premising-having criteria. Because, man, have you ever picked some down, awful movies? Not just bad movies, but depressing and the last thing you would want to joke about movies. It's not I reject your whole premise. Okay, you you may, but I, I, I submit that the movies I've chosen have all lent themselves to joke writing for us. Okay. They, they've provided setups for us. By the way, I don't just pick movies I like. Uh, we I picked Viper, and we hated that. <laughs> Pretty sure we hated the last thing I did, too, before the whole Natalia Grace thing. Right, right, right. Yeah. Okay, so um, in that case, I'm going to rate Jekyll and, the Jekyll and Hyde episode of Nightmare Classics, one Meredith Baxter, based entirely and unfairly on its uselessness to me as the co-writer of the Rees Company. How would you rate it? You know, I'd forgotten that we rate these things because it's been so long. Um, yeah, there's no reason to give it more than one. There's no reason anyone should watch it. Unless, you, unless you're such a big Babylon 5 fan that you need to see everything Straczynski's ever done. And, and even then, you'll be disappointed. So Okay, in that case, is there anything we didn't talk about you might want to talk about? I don't know. We could talk about the chicken again. If you'd like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I will say this. It's not the subject matter of the films. It's, the, uh, it's, it's kind of the soil they provide, the compost they provide for potential humor. Okay. I, I, I don't believe you're correct in this. Uh, we might, we might Chris, take this up next Do you have any idea how week? many made-for-TV movies, classic made-for-TV movies I've watched in their, entirely, in their entirety with the, with the thought that uh, this might be good for the show? Yeah. And then I realized, no, this isn't, it, it's not funny enough. We have nowhere to go with this. Right. Again, I wanted to talk about the book, and I sent you the link to the book for free. Um, did you did you take a look at the, take a gander at that? No, I, I was too busy trying to turn the movie you submitted into something we could watch and enjoy. Or we could have talked and about the, folks the book could watch and enjoy and had a you know. Are people not familiar with the story? I think people know the story. I'm telling you, people aren't familiar with the story because there's a common misconception that I just brought up. Um, the, the, people, I don't think people get anything other than. There's a Jekyll and there's a Hyde. There's a lot there, man. It's a great book. Everyone should check that out. Or check out the, um, what's the second one called? Who, who's Hiding Who? What did you say it was called? I, I don't know what you're talking about. The what? second movie. The se- oh, oh no, Jekyll and Hyde together again. Together yeah, again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially the uh, I've Got Nothing to Hide scene, which uh, I, I, would, <laughs> I would have shown, but I have a feeling that we'd get dinged for uh, using the music <laughs> that I can't imagine anyone claiming a copyright on. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, let's end the show and we'll go listen to that. No one wants to tell on themselves <laughs> when it comes to that. Okay, in that case, I think we did it. Chris Morgani, Jim Corian, I'm Steve Reyes. Ask me, wait. Ask you what? Well. Tigers. Eat them all. We did it, Seth. So.